0: Praise the Lord. Can we bow down our heads as we pray? Our Father, we thank you. We give you praise for today. We exalt you because you are God. We thank you because you are good. We thank you because it's by your grace and by your mercy that we are alive to see a new day. It's by your love. It's by your kindness. There is nothing that we can do without you. There is nothing that we are without you. There is nothing that we can become without you. Father, we pray that as we go into your word today, that you speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. I would not speak of myself. I would not just say random words. That everybody listening, including myself speaking, would take something home that would transform our lives in Jesus' name. That our time in your presence would not be just a waste of time. We would not be here simply to keep the time. But we would get something that will transform our lives. In Jesus' name, I pray amen amen Um, welcome everybody to another service Um, today we're going to be taking or looking at a topic which is a direct continuation of last week's topic and the topic of today is cherish the gift cherish the gift now whether you decide to call it cherish the gift part two Or just cherish the gift. (laughs) Um, Again, that depends on you. But it's the same topic. So the fact that it's a continuation does not mean that we are picking up from something we did not finish last week. Because we finished the narrative of last week. Today we are going to be looking at something entirely new. Still under cherishing the gift. One of the things that we mentioned is that the gift that we are talking about here is the gift of salvation. And to cherish something means to value it. And I think one of the examples that I gave was that it's not every gift that you get that you value. The value you place on a gift or something that you're giving depends on your your perception of that thing. How much you think you need it so i give the example and i said that if someone has 12 cars packed in his compound for example and someone gives him a gift of a new car it's different from the person who has never driven a car in his life and someone just gives him a new car they can't value it the same way because one person has never owned a car has never driven a car the other person has 12. yes the person that has 12 will appreciate the 13th car but you cannot compare the state of the heart of that one person with the other one that had 12. It's the same gift, but they will value it differently. Are we right? Yes. So in the same vein, we said that understanding what salvation means to us is what is going to determine how much we value it. Because there are people who are in church who don't value their salvation the way they should. That's the truth. They are used to the routine that every Sunday I go to church. This is how I've been doing it all my life. Since I've been a teenager, especially if people that are born in Christian homes. Since I've been a child, teenager, adulthood, my mother has already she has been pulling my hands across the road to go to church. And that's what I've been doing all my days. And routine cannot replace relationship. Routine is just simply something that you do. So you wake up, you do it. Tomorrow you do the same thing because that's something you've always done. That's very different from having a relationship with God. And relationship is born out of cherishing the gift. And we talked about some things last week that would be present in your life when you have started to cherish this gift of salvation. And we're going to leave that there. But today we're going to look at something else. And we're going to be looking at the book of First Peter chapter 2. And I'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 6. First Peter 2, starting from the New King James Version. I read, it says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow Thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Verse 4. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God. And precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through jesus christ stop there verse five so we're going to be looking at this particular passage in two parts we'll look at verse one to three then we'll look at verse four and five because it's the same narrative but they are not talking about the same thing what do i mean the scripture starts with the word therefore when you see the word therefore in the bible what it means is that there is something that the person was speaking about before and the person is continuing that particular thought or that particular narration we have to remember that when these letters were written they were not divided into chapters they were just written as plain letters peter wrote a letter to the church paul wrote letters to the church the prophets of, in the old testament compiled narratives and letters based on what god had revealed unto them it was when the bible was being compiled and canonized that people said okay this is chapter one this is chapter two so essentially as much as we are starting from chapter two and it starts with the word therefore we will not be able to totally understand exactly what the writer is talking about if we've not been able to go back and see what was going on before he now came and said therefore lay aside all malice what was he saying and we'll pick that up from verse 22 of 1st Peter chapter 1 and he says since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth of the spirit in sincere love of the brethren love one another fervently with a pure heart having been born again not of corruptible seed but incorruptible through the word of god which lives and abides forever because when he quotes from the old testament all flesh is grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass the grass withers and its flower falls away but the word of the lord endures forever now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you then he goes on and says therefore lay aside so it's from the precept or from the prelude that we just read that that therefore comes into play and there are three things he mentions between 22 and 25 that i want us to note he talks about what being purifying our souls by obeying the truth through the holy spirit so he talks about the spirit The certain thing he talks about is in 23 he talks about having been born again not of corruptible seed but incorruptible and previously he had spoken about how the seed he's talking about is the blood that jesus shed on the cross of calvary so essentially he has spoken about what the blood of jesus and the next thing he talks about is what and through the what the word of god which lives and abides forever so the holy spirit the blood of jesus and the word of God these three agents or these three unique things are necessary for our salvation because Jesus had to shed his blood and we receive him through the word that we hear his word and when we do that his spirit those words resides within us and he's saying that on the basis of this Now that's what, the word of God has been preached to you and you have accepted it. And these three things that have been given to us by God have been able to save us. Because in the beginning, we're still talking about cherishing the gift. What should we do next? We should what? Lay aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all evil speaking. And as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby if indeed you have tasted that the lord is gracious and the most powerful part of this entire thing is that last verse if indeed you have tasted that the lord is gracious what does this mean this means that our response as christians this is not for the pastor This is not for the person who has known Jesus for 10 years. It doesn't matter how long or how short. Immediately we step into a place where we received the grace of salvation. If indeed you have tasted it, our natural response to that gift is a desire to grow. That's what the scripture is saying. That if you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, you would desire the pure milk of the word of God which is able to let you grow and you will put aside all these things and the reason I'm speaking about growth through the word of God today is because growth through the word of God is one of the most de-emphasized things in Christianity today we don't really talk about it you see we, we talk a lot about trying to get people to come to your church rather than trying to make sure that everyone puts their salvation on their own head and takes responsibility for their own spiritual growth. You see, there are a lot of places where it's possible for a pastor to keep his congregation dependent on him. And what I mean by dependent is not teaching them the word, not teaching them that they can pray to God and get things for themselves. Not teaching them that their relationship with God is first private before you call him into the equation. Because Jesus is the great shepherd. Whoever is pastoring or leading is just a sub-shepherd. The great shepherd who is shepherding that human being who is standing in the place of a leader is still Jesus. And you yourself have access to him. And instead of teaching them and making them realize that it is your responsibility to grow and you can grow by yourself. You keep them dependent on you. You have headache. You are looking for someone to pray for you. Your stomach is paining you. You are looking for someone to pray for you. You need a new job. You need a new this. You are looking for someone to pray for you. That is what has brought Christianity to the point that it is in, particularly in this part of the world today, where almost everybody is dependent on somebody else and they've lost the place of taking up God by his word for yourself. we have lost it. Because people do not want to grow spiritually. People do not desire the Word of God. People don't want to know what God is saying about them by themselves. They'll probably go to, they'll prefer to go to a prophet. We've brought in some of our cultural biases into the gospel. and when I say cultural biases, I mean things like consultation. They don't call it consultation. They will say you're going to see an alpha or a prophet. Or well, you brought our cultural biases into the gospel. Because whether you're Yoruba or Igbo or Hausa, in everybody in our traditional homes, the families we come from, there's consultation. Basically, we go and get something. That's what we, that's our roots, that's where we came from. And Jesus wants to bring us into something that is different. Jesus wants to bring us into something that allows us to stand on our own with him. That we can connect with him directly without an intermediary. Does the pastor have his place? Yes. Does the leader have his place? Yes. Does the prophet have his place? Yes. But his place is not the place in which you cannot talk to God for yourself. You yourself have a responsibility to lay aside these things and grow. And the fact that the writer of this particular letter bases that desire on you tasting the grace of God is what makes it even more important. Because the writer didn't say, okay, desire to grow when you've spent one year in the church. Or you can start growing when you've spent two years or three years in your church. Or you can start growing when you've attended up to 20 services. Or you can focus on your growth. You can focus on getting to know the word of God. After you spend six months going to church, the writer does not say any of these things. The condition he gives is if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. And we've read the previous verses to look at the grace he's talking about. He's talking talking about the grace in which he has brought you into salvation. Because it's by his grace that we are saved. And he says, if you have tasted of that grace, your response to that grace is, oh, I want to grow. I want to desire the milk of the word of God. And if that does not become the natural response of a believer, no matter how old, whether one day, or he has been in church for 10 years, then there's a problem. And it's on this foundation that we can now look at the reason why you should desire to grow. That's the next section. And that's how we can tackle verse 4 and verse 5. And it says what? Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God, precious. You also as what? Living stones. Are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus christ what peter is speaking about here he's speaking about you and i being the temple of god being the temple of god being the place where god resides being the place where God lives. God lives in you. And I wish that Christians would realize this. And there is proof in the Bible that God lives in you. There is proof. And today we are going to look at the proof. If you go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 2 sorry Ephesians 2:19 I will just read It says now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building Being fitted together grows into what? A holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. All of this might look like French, but if we cast our minds back into the Old Testament and make a comparison between the Old Testament and what we have today, we will see that truly we are God's temple. Anybody who has read through the Old Testament will see that in the Old Testament, God related with man through two places. It was either the tabernacle or the temple. So when, when they were in the wilderness, the tabernacle was movable because they were on a journey. And the tabernacle, wherever Israel goes, that's where the tabernacle would be. And that's where the high priest would go in and out, make sacrifices unto God. That's where Moses himself would go to seek God on behalf of the people. Then after Moses died, all the priests that came after him from Iran. And when that time passed and Israel was established as a nation from Saul to David, then Solomon, when they were now established in a place and they had rulership and there was prosperity, because as we've read, Solomon was an extremely rich king. What happened was they built a temple. But whether it's the tabernacle or the temple, there was one thing that made those places, in quotes, carriers of God's presence. And that thing was the Ark of the Covenant. If the Ark of the Covenant is not there, it's just an empty place. So we read the story of the life of David and where for a while the Ark left Israel and they had to bring it back and all the things that happened there. It's because the ark was a representation of God's presence. Wherever the ark is, God's presence is there, right? So I want us to read something in the book of Hebrews. We want to see the things that were in the ark. And I am going to show you from scripture how every single thing in the ark is a representation of Jesus. Let's open to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9, I want to read verse 4, but you can read from verse 2, just for context. It says, For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part, in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. Verse 3, And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, and the ark of covenant overlaid on all sides with gold in which were the golden pots that had manna aaron's rod budded and the tablets of the covenant so there were three things that were in the ark the first was what a golden pot that had the manna that they ate in what in the wilderness then they had Aaron's rod. We're told that Aaron's rod, even when not connected to any soil, it budded and produced fruit, And it was a sign of the authority and the anointing that God had given to Aaron. That a rod that is not connected to any source, it's not, it has been cut off from its tree, was still producing what? Buds and fruits. And the third thing was what? Was the tablets that had the law that Moses collected from God we will start from the manner. in the book of John chapter 6 Jesus said something that scattered Israel caused fights and people left him but Jesus said if you look at John 6 30 this was after Jesus fed the 5,000 and they wanted to make him king and all the drama happened then he finally came back to them john 6 30 says what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you what work will you do our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written, he gave them bread to eat what did jesus say to them then jesus said to them most assuredly i say to you moses did not give you bread from heaven but my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of god for the bread of god is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life for the world jesus was saying to them that what your fathers enjoyed in the wilderness was not the real thing i am the real thing i am the bread from heaven i am the bread of life and he who eats from me will never be hungry again he who takes me. So essentially, the manna was in the ark, right? And now Jesus is essentially saying, I am the true manna from heaven. So the manna represents who? Jesus. Let's look at the rod. And I want us to open to our Bibles, so the book of Isaiah, chapter 11. Isaiah 11, from verse 1, says... There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. There shall come forth what? a rod from Jesse. Who are we talking about here? Jesus. And let's tell ourselves something interesting. The rod was a piece of wood. And that represents Jesus' humanity. Because he had a lineage, which is what? Jesse. Right? The rod was dead. Because the rod was disconnected from the tree that it came from. And Jesus also what? Died. But somehow that same rod was able to spring forth what fruit again even while not being connected to the tree because Jesus was resurrected and when everything was done this rod was put in the ark which is the presence of God and in the same vein when Jesus resurrected he went back where to his father so Jesus is the rod What's the third thing that is inside the ark? The covenant, right? We can open Jeremiah 31, 33. This is also repeated in the book of Hebrews. Jeremiah 31, verse 33 says, But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God, and they will be my people. No more shall every man teach his his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. What is he saying? That essentially there will be no need for writing the law of tablets anymore. Because essentially, because he is coming to reside within us, we will have him inside us. So essentially, the tablets also represent who? Jesus in us. And these three things were present in the ark. They were the things that made up what was inside that ark. And Jesus is now inside us. So what are we? We are his temple we are the ones that are carrying jesus about jesus is not in the four walls of any church he doesn't reside in a building he resides in man we are the ones that make up the church wherever we are gathered he said it himself where two or three of you are gathered in my name i am there in your midst because we are his temple And everything in this Bible points to that fact. Because the Bible, if you understand it, the Bible says the same thing. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. The Spirit of God will break it down to you. You will know that the Bible is consistent from beginning to end. The Bible is a book about one person, Jesus. Nothing else really matters except him. And even when sometimes you may not be clear that it is him that, you have, that the Bible is talking about, when God begins to reveal it to you, you will know, yes, this is Jesus, we are carrying him. And taking it back to the Old Testament, because the Old Testament is a practice, it's like the practice round for what we are enjoying today as people who have received Jesus because they didn't have Jesus. God gave them some things that were a shadow. Of what was to come for us. And in the old testament, the way they treated the tabernacle is the same way that we should treat ourselves. And the reason why we read at the beginning, put away all these things and desire the milk of the word is because God wants to make us true carriers of Him. And there are two things, two major characteristics that is present in every temple or every place that the ark is. And it should be present in our lives. The first is purity, and the second is power. The reason why it feels like Christianity has lost its power is because people do not understand who they are. The reason why Christians are walking about living powerless lives where they cannot decree a thing and it will come to pass. Where I cannot walk into a place and say, and I do this a lot, I say some things. My classmates sometimes, I say some things and it's like I'm just talking. But me and I am not just talking because I know who I am. I'm a carrier of the King of Kings. He's inside me. Purity and power. The church doesn't speak about purity anymore. You say your own is too much. But we ready here. He told them to put aside some things. Essentially, put those things aside so that I can move through you. I live inside you. If you go through the Old Testament, you will see that the priest, the high priest, before he goes into that place where the ark is, they will tie a rope to his waist. And he will cleanse himself for days they will still tie the rope just in case he forgot to cleanse something. And he now enters and he dies. So at some point when he's like he has spent too long in that place, they will now tug the rope to see if there's any response. If there's a response, he's still alive. Because they too they cannot enter. And we are saying that that same God does not change. Right? And that same God is inside you. So how should your life be? That's the question. This is to challenge us and to open our eyes. That in some way we are living subpar. We're not living truly what we are. Some people don't know that purity is power. Because they go together. That living a life that is pleasing unto God is how God is able to move freely through you and you can exhibit his power. There's something I say to myself and I say it and I mean it. I say there's nothing that I cannot do. Like I can do all things. I take that very literally. It does not mean that God will say I should do everything. But what will stop me from doing something is not ability. Because the person that has all the ability is living in me. is it? I say in my mind, in the mind of Jesus Christ, though. I don't forget things. If I see it, I'll remember it. And I say this a lot. So yesterday something happened in which i have an exam on monday and as tomorrow and as i yesterday the lecturer was still adding things that he has not given us to read he was still sending it to me <laughs> and my classmates we've already finished doing like, i've done tutorial and everything and we, we said oh we're done with that handouts that's how the man sent an update of four extra pages i had to ask the man sir is this the end <laughs> like before we wake up on monday morning we hear you're adding more he now said it's the end no problem so he sent it to me and obviously we're on our way to school and i just glanced through it and as i glanced through it i just closed it and i just i had already known what he wrote there and i got to school and i was discussing my classmates and we're now talking they're not like how we read that one I mean, i was just saying my that it's easy now he just put this this and this all of them just stopped and they were just looking at me they were like where did you have the time? You just sent it to read it. I said, I opened it and I saw it. An argument started in the class. I wasn't part of the argument. Though. I was just sitting down. They started to argue. Who are they arguing about me? Why? Say, what's wrong with him? Like, why is he him? This is that. And at the end, I didn't say a word. Though. Some of them. Some of them are not. One of them is not Christian. And that's. They got to the conclusion that they were like, see, it's a gift it's a gift from God. God has just blessed his brain. I am not the one saying it, though. Note, I'm there in the presence of the conversation, but it's not like I am involved. Because they, they, It was serious because they had no read. Some of them had opened it and they saw it, and what they saw was, this is just frustration. Like, why is this man stressing us? And I just opened it and I just looked at it briefly and I just left it. And when I left that scenario, it taught me something. Or rather reminded me of something. That when we live lives that are exhibiting God's power, even people that do not know God will not be able to deny that it is what? It is God's power. When your life is exhibiting God's power, truly, people will not be able to deny that it's God's power. Because they will not be able to fathom how some things are just happening in your life. But those things cannot happen if you don't have a recognition of who you are and the gift that you have received. Those things also cannot happen if you do not realize that God lives in me, I have to be pure. Purity is the hallmark of what it means to be God's temple because it's only through purity that his power can flow through you freely. And those are the things that we have to learn today. That in a bid to cherish the gift, we have to have a constant desire to grow. We have to have a constant desire to stay pure and live pure lives. And we have to be aware that there is power that is working in us. And the world is waiting for the manifestation of that power. Amen. Pray that God will help us in Jesus' name. Let's rise up.